we're from deep east Texas. I don't know if you could tell by the accent. It's, it's very slight. Um, but I'm just a redneck from east Texas. And we grew up in not the Bible Belt, but I would say the very buckle, the little hole where the buckle goes through there in the Bible Belt. That's where we grew up. And um, this past week, um, I, I noticed something that came up on um, our feed there that in downtown Tyler, Texas, I believe it was yesterday, um, now get this, that there was a, a rally, a gathering for the Satanic Church on the courthouse square in Tyler, Texas. And I, I saw where people were upset about these things and, and all of that. And, and Amy and I had a conversation about this yesterday. I was heartbroken just seeing this. I was kind of heartbroken about all of those things. But Amy and I were talking about this yesterday, and, and she said, if we were there, what do you think we would do as a church? And I said, well, that's a great question. Because I know how, how a lot of people respond. They respond in anger. And, and I'll be honest, I was angry at first when I saw this. I thought, how could you? How, how, could, how could this happen? But Amy and I talked about this yesterday, and it was kind of interesting. And we were talking, if we were there, or if that came here, what would we do? Uh, so first of all, we're going to gather the saints. We're going to gather Christian believers, not just with Calvary Severance, but we would probably reach out to our brothers and sisters um, that are... Uh, that, that, are gathered here today, and, and first of all, before we even plan on doing anything else, we're going to hit our knees and we're going to pray about what God would have us to do. And Amy and I were, I were talking about this, and she said, well, if we were there in Tyler, what would we do? I said, first of all, I'm going to contact other pastors, and we got to do something. And, and we talked about this. First of all, we need to ask God to break our hearts for those people because they're lost. And then Amy and I were talking, and I'm going, you know, what an incredible opportunity to share the gospel. They're coming. They're gathered together. Man, let's go love them and share truth and hope with them. I mean, that's what we should do. And here's my, my heartbroken, what, what, what broke my heart so much is I kind of, I read some stuff this morning about what happened, and, and there were some folks that gathered prior to, to pray. And then I'm not sure what else happened after that. I don't know if there were other Christians that were there that their heart was hurting for the people that gathered there. Because I don't know about you guys, but when I thought about this yesterday, I'm thinking, these are people that are going to hell and will spend eternity there under God's wrath if someone doesn't come to them and tell them the truth. And God just wrecked their hearts and saved them. This is where we're going this morning. A world is not getting any better. The Miss America dream is a myth. You know what I'm talking about? If you could have one wish, what would it be? World peace. It's, it's not going to happen. Until Christ returns, church. Let's just be real about it. Scripture is very, very clear. Things are not going to get better. They're going to get worse. The world we live in is a really scary place. And do you know why it's scary? 
because it's fallen. Broken. The Bible says that fallen means to describe someone or something that is spiritually and morally degraded. In my redneck terms, it's broke. It's broken. The whole world of mankind is fallen. It's, it's fallen spiritually and morally and are corrupt. And it doesn't take much to see it. Turn on the TV. Even in the Bible Belt of East Texas on the courthouse square. Surrounded by probably no less than, and probably a three block radius, probably no less than ten churches. It's broken. We see this everywhere. It's, it's morally and ethically and heart broken. The whole world has fallen. From the beauty, the tranquility, the vitality of godly family life into a cesspool of, of different things, of, of confused sexual identity or, or, or all of these things, and domestic strife and aimlessness and, and sin abounds. Sin that was abhorred not too long ago by most is now acceptable and encouraged. And we see it everywhere. We see it everywhere. I can't even turn the TV on without just hearing horrible vulgar language that you would never hear. I'm not that old. I'm only 48. Some of you guys think I'm 80. But I'm not. But not too long ago, you wouldn't hear those things on TV. And now I'm just... My wife says, you watch boring shows. Well, not potty mouths on there, you know? But you think about those things. She watches boring shows too. So. But, but think about this. I just want to bring this about. We are... We are Pushed into the narrative of tolerance, meaning that we, we have to agree and to be in favor of such things that God calls evil. If not, we're not being loving and intolerant. I think what it is, is we need to think about how we approach things. You look at this and look around. I was reminded this past week that depression and mental illness, I think, is at an all-time high as a result of our culture's embracing of evil. I firmly believe that. It's more common nowadays to insult and degrade someone than it is to encourage someone. I don't want to get on a political bandwagon, but this is what we see from both sides. This is what we do. We call each other names and we put each other down and whoever can get the bigger insult is the winner. breaks my heart, church. It's, it's evidence. All of this is an evidence of a fallen world and it, it's not going to get any better until Jesus returns. Now, I don't tell you all this to just for us to walk out of here with our heads hung down. What I want us to think about today, I want us to think about just what do we do in the meantime? The better question is this. I want you to think about this. What do you really want for your kids? What do you want for your family? What do you want for your neighbors? And, and what do you really want as a, a follower? If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, what do you greatly desire above all things of your kids, your family, your neighbors, your community, and the rest of this fallen world? What do you wish? 
And if you can answer that, let me ask you this. Are you willing to humbly submit to God's good authority in fighting for our families and for the rest of this fallen world? If we're followers of Jesus, we should be, we should be ambitious about those things. So here's the practical question of this morning. How do we go about that? You're probably hearing going, Josh, I'm all in, but I don't know how to do that. I'm, stick with me. It's not going to be an exhaustive list, but I got a few things from our passage here this morning, and I think we can see that, that God is so kind and so good at how He works and how He operates. And, there's above, and when we look at a broken and fallen world, there is hope in who Jesus is to overcome all of the brokenness, all of the hurt, all of the strife, all of the pain in here. Yes. Let's read our passage. Acts chapter 18, verses 24 through 28. We're going to finish Acts 18 today. You guys got your Bibles open, your device, all that good stuff. Acts chapter 18, starting at verse 24. Now a Jew named Apollos, a, na a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who, who, who through grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the Scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. This is God's Word. Let's pray this morning. Father, we praise You. We shout hallelujah to You and to You alone, Father. We, we just, God, we ask for Your grace and Your strength and Your power and Your mercy. Father, would You fill us up with those things because, God, You know the world that we step into every single day is one that is torn by sin and brokenness. But, Father, we have hope we have hope, hope in who you are that you have overcome. We have a hope of not just a, a blank wish, but we have a certainty. We have a certainty because we know that your promises are true. We know that a day is coming when you will restore all things and sin will be no more. And we will shout hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. But Father, in that meantime, You have given us a purpose here. And although this world is very, very dark, Father, that I love what Your Word says, that although there is darkness, the light, the light comes and the darkness will not overcome it. So Father, help us to be the church. Not just a gathering on a Sunday morning, but Father, may we be empowered followers of You to be salt and light in a very dark world. 
So Father, just as a a small light is introduced into a very vast dark room, it lights things up. So Father, would you do that in and through us? Because God, on our own, we cannot. So Lord, we ask that you would empower us. Strengthen us to be your light. The light of the truth of the gospel. And Father, for those here this morning that are still in darkness. Oh God, show them light this morning. Change their hearts this morning. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. It's an interesting passage of Scripture. It's, I like how, uh, how Luke, the, the writer of the book of Acts, he kind of takes us off of the narrative of Paul for just a moment here. And he, he addresses, it takes our attention to this guy named Apollos. kind of like that name. If I had another son, I'd probably name him Apollos. Kind of awesome. I like that name. Very powerful name. And like last week, this passage can it can get a little bit obscure, but but it's a really rich passage here. And again, kind of like last week, Luke doesn't give us a whole lot of of info uh, here, but we can know some a few things about this guy named Apollos. What we do know is while Paul was on his next missionary journey, beginning of his third missionary journey, re, uh, revisiting former mission fields. This guy, Apollos, arrived in Ephesus. Luke describes him as a Jew. He was an Alexandrian native. This means that he was from a big city in Egypt is really all that means. Had a large Jewish population there. Luke describes him as as eloquent, meaning he was very gifted in in, in speaking. And he was competent or learned in the Old Testament, what we would consider the Old Testament scriptures. And I love what verse 25 says, that he was, he was instructed in the way of the Lord. But in reading this, you're kind of like, I'm a little, I don't know about you guys, when reading this, I'm a little bit confused of, if, if is this guy, is he a good teacher? What, what's going on here with this guy named Apollos? Does this mean that, that he was thoroughly acquainted with the gospel? I don't think so. You see, the next phrase in our passage there says that he was fervent in spirit. Was it the Holy Spirit? I don't think it was the Holy Spirit at this time. I think it was His own Spirit that He was... He just loved the Lord, and what He knew, He was sharing it as, as, as well as He could. Here's what we can, I think we can see, although we don't have a whole lot about um, Apollos' complete spiritual shape, state at the time. We can believe, as we can, we can accurately see Apollos, is that, that God had been... He had been and was currently at work in his life for God's glory and the good of others. I had an opportunity, I was asking Brett about this, going, hey, what do you think about Apollos? Was he a Christian then or not? And Brett and I were kind of kicking this around. I go, I really don't know. And it's okay to say, I don't know when you look at Scripture. I kind of lean to that God was working on his life. And Brett said something really important. He goes, I don't think that's the big point here. The big point is, is that God did save him and God was using and did use him. What we do see here is he was, he was on fire for the Lord, but he was ignorant about some things. And it's okay to be ignorant about some things. It just means you don't know. Despite his Old Testament knowledge, he didn't understand Christian truth completely. He understood John's baptism, and that was to prepare Israel for the coming Messiah. And I think Apollos knew and trusted in that, but was unfamiliar or ignorant in the significance of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. He was 
He wasn't completely knowledgeable about the, power, power, the role and the power of the Holy Spirit. And he wasn't completely knowledgeable about the purpose of the church. It's hard to say that if he was, if he for certain was a saved man. We're looking at it at this point, but I like to think that he was kind of like the Old Testament saints. When you read Hebrews 11, those saints in the Old Testament Hall of Fame, a redeemed Old Testament believer. That's what I like to think. Now, again, this is just my opinion there. But what we do see is his faith was in the Messiah. He just needed someone to give him the rest of the truth. He needed someone to come along beside him and, 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 and confront him and give him the truth so that God could use him. And I don't want us to get caught up in semantics, but we know in the end God did save him and God did use him. But what we do know is he didn't have the complete truth of the gospel. And although he was tenacious, and he was well-spoken, he lacked the doctrine of the Christian faith. The beautiful thing here is what we see is God faithfully using his people to build others up so that they too can be used for God's glory and the joy of others. Christian. Oh, there's so much for us here. So much for us here. Here's the challenge. The challenge is how do we faithfully navigate a, a broken world so that truth can abound and rebellious sinners can be redeemed, healed, reconciled, and live out in hope? How do we do that? Well, glad you asked. Let me tell you how we don't do that. Here's how we poorly navigate a broken world as so-called Christian, do nothing. You want to be successful in not being successful as a believer? Just do nothing. Sit in your holy huddles and, and never go to battle for the lives of our families and our friends and our neighbors and even our enemies. Just do nothing. That's not what we're called to do. We're not to have an I'm okay, you're okay, or what is good for you is good for you attitude. And it's not that we pick fights with people. We bring them the truth. This is what we are to do. I know this too. We're, we're not to just leave the truth telling up to, to other people to accomplish if you're a Christian, you are to be a truth teller. Let me tell you something. I love preaching. I love preaching the gospel. I love it. I mean, it's, it, I told somebody the other day, my retirement plan is to die in a pulpit. I love preaching the gospel. There is a small fraction of our community that's here that I can preach to this morning. There's a vast amount of our community that you will see tomorrow that I will not. And as dark as our world is, they need the truth. Let me prove this to you that you are to be a truth teller. First Peter, here, do this for me. Turn to First Peter chapter 2. I'm going to give you a minute. 
Because here's the thing, if you're taking notes or something, you need to like circle this passage of Scripture, unline, underline it. If you're on a device, you can probably go there really quick. They have a highlight option. You need to highlight these couple of verses. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. You need to write this on something where you can see it every day. You need to look at this every day. You guys there? Let me give you a minute. We got our kids in here with you. Praise God that our kids are in here with us. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. I'm gonna, I know our kids are still looking. I'm going to give them a minute. This is so important, church. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Listen to what it says here. But Christian, this is talking to redeemed believers. Here's the thing. While our kids are still turning this is let me tell you who Peter's writing to. He's talking to those that, that know that they are sinners, know that they have offended a holy and righteous God, know that what they deserve is God's full wrath for all eternity. But they know that Christ has come, God has opened, pulled the veil back on their eyes and their heart, shown them the magnitude of their sin. He has humbled them, but He's also shown them the great love and grace that God has for them, that Christ stood in your place, that the wrath was taken on by Christ Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. There is no greater love than that for you, Christian. This is, this is, it's, think about this. This is for you that Christ took on God's full weight of wrath for all eternity for you. If you have faith in Jesus, you, the wrath is not upon you anymore. It is non existent. Christ has paid it for you, Christian. Somebody, amen. This is, this is it here. This is it. But, but it doesn't just go, oh, my, my ticket is stamped. I'm good. I can go on living. Look at what Peter tells us. He's talking to those that have faith in Christ, that are just blown away by the great grace that God has given us. He says, but you are a chosen race, meaning God sought you out, pulled you out of darkness, into your death, out of your death and your blindness, and He made you alive. What Ephesians tells us, Colossians talks about this. So much of Scripture talks about this, that God and God alone makes us new. He does this. He says, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. What does a priest do? Proclaims the Word, doesn't he? You're a holy nation. A people for His own possession. Whoo! Isn't that awesome? A rebellious people. Let's just soak on this for just a moment. I'm going to preach on 1 Peter 2, but we can't overlook this. A people for His own possession, meaning God. God says, even though you're rebellious and you, you hated me, you were my enemy, I have made you clean. And you are mine. Oh, you are mine. For all eternity, a good and gracious God says, you are mine. A people for His own possessions. Listen to this. That you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Verse 10 says, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Think about this, how you were in darkness. How did you see and come into the light, Christian? Just practically. I know it was for me, sitting on my back porch with my dad and my dad sharing the gospel with me. That my dad goes, 
I'm going to do everything I can for my kids not to go to hell, basically. My dad took time out of his busy morning, working on our house to take time and go, this is so much more important. We're going to sit and talk about eternal things. Christian, this is, this is how we are to look at things because we were once in darkness. Just like lost people now are in darkness. Those that gathered on that square yesterday were in darkness. And someone needed to come to them. and Give them light. See, our only hope to live victoriously in a broken and dying world is to joyfully, and I mean joyfully, battle for the truth. And here's the big question. How do we do this? So I think there's, it's not an exhaustive list, but i got three things in our passage here that, that would encourage us to do that. Here's the first thing that we need to look at. Every believer is a work in progress, you and I included. The Apostle Paul, when, when, when we see him in the book of Acts, have you guys seen how God has worked in his life? He was an enemy. We talked about this last week. I kind of gave you a synopsis of, of the Apostle Paul. He was, he, he was a Jew among Jews, a Pharisee, but he was at war with Jesus. Destroying, trying to do everything he could to destroy the church. And here comes Jesus. Knocks him off of his horse. Shows him the truth. Saves him. He learns. He spends time learning. The truth of what all of this means and how to do that, he was a work in progress. God was using him and teaching him as he led others. We see this all throughout Scripture of his writings. He even speaks of his own struggles and how God kindly teaches him. Read Romans 7. Romans 7, he, Paul talks about this. Oh, I struggle with things. He's, it's, he's so real. Going, There are things that my flesh does that I know I shouldn't do, but I want to do because I'm in the flesh, but I know that Christ has overcome those things. This is what he says in Romans 7, 14 and 15. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not, want, uh, do, not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Paul said, I struggle too, but I'm a work in progress. What about Priscilla and Aquila? Well, they, they come alongside Apollos. They too were a work in progress. Some theologians believe that maybe they weren't even saved by the time when they first meet Paul. It could be. We don't, we don't really know. But what you can be certain is they sure heard the gospel from Paul, right? I think about the Apostle Paul. Man, this guy, he lived this out so very well. And you know, he's going to be in chains later on. You think about being chained to the Apostle Paul. Imagine being a Roman soldier. You're going, oh no, not this guy. Paul just constantly, hey, he talks about the full armor of God. You know why he wrote that? He was chained to a Roman soldier and he's looking at this guy. Oh, here's a great analogy. You got a cool helmet. That's pretty righteous, right? He goes through this guy's suit of armor, talks about this is how God equips us. Think about this. God is at work through people. And we have to understand that people are work in progress. Priscilla and Aquila, they, they certainly grew in their faith in Christ under this encouragement of Paul. And now we see that they, they encountered this guy named Apollos, who was also a work in progress. 
There's good things written about him in Acts chapter 18, but he didn't know everything. But what we see is he's a work in progress. And, and although Luke calls him an eloquent and competent, he didn't have it all together. But God was working on him to use him for God's glory and the good of others. Christian, in fact, if you are a Christian, you are a work in progress. Have joy in that. You don't have to have it all together because let me tell you something. Your pastors, we don't have it all together. I'm going to speak for Justin and Brett. We don't have it all together. And I'm probably the main one that doesn't have it all together. We don't know everything. We are growing in our relationship with the Lord and our knowledge. We are a work in progress, but praise God that He is faithful and He works that way. I often think about how, how God has, has and is growing my faith. And how he's constantly working on my heart and making me more like Jesus. I look back on some of the things. I have a file of some of my sermons I've preached. And I look back and go, man, did I really say that? But I look and I'm so grateful for how God has just, through the Holy Spirit, has just changed me. I praise God for that. So often, many believers do nothing because they believe they don't have it all together. Welcome to the club, Christian. <laughs> right? doesn't mean that we don't try, but we, we, we don't have it all together. The life of a Christian is one of constant growth in Christ. Remember last week's sermon, this faithful submission, this joyful submission to the Lordship of Jesus? That's what it means. Look at 2 Peter 3.18. But grow in, this is Paul, or Peter talking about this, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the, the day of eternity. Amen. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, works, is working, meaning He is working, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Here's the thing, Christian. When you come to faith, it doesn't mean that you have it all together. There's a, there's a great question I like to ask some of these guys that we, we start working with in leadership. And some of these men here have asked, I've asked this question to. I've asked this. I said, hey, uh, tell me what you think. Is sanctification an all at once or a continual process? Where's Jaime? I asked Jaime that question for the first time probably three years ago. And it just puzzled him. And we kind of walked through that. And finally... I didn't give him an answer, and finally he goes, well, the answer is yes. Yes, God does set us apart, but He's continually setting us apart, continually sanctifying us. That means He is at work in us. And we have to understand that others are a work in progress as well. I think so often we set standards on others that we don't hold ourselves to, don't we? We need to show some grace we need to show some grace there. But man, we, we struggle with this, don't we? I'm not saying that we need to overlook sin. But I am saying that we should not expect perfection from others. To, because to my knowledge, there was only one perfect one, and that is Jesus. I often say this too. Don't expect unbelievers to act like believers. I think we've put that unrealistic expectation on them. 
Why are they doing this? Well, they don't know Jesus. Well, maybe we need to go share Jesus with them. But we often think that unbelievers should act like believers. Here's the truth about unbelievers. They're blind. They're dead. They have hearts of stone. And they love their darkness. They love sin. Parents of littles, can I talk to you for just a second? Can I love you for just a second? Can I make you feel just a little bit more comfortable? Your kids are little sinners. Honestly, if, if they don't know Jesus, they, they, they're, they're in darkness. You know what your job is to? To bring them into the light as much as you can. But your kids are little sinners. And here's the thing. Those sitting around you that have little kids, they're little sinners too. They're doing what they're supposed to do. Their nature. This is their nature. And it's going to take the supernatural work of God to change this. But you know how He does it? Man, just piling the kindling of the gospel around them. This is what I love about our, 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 our uh, family Sundays. Our kids get to sit in here. Merrick was telling me the other day. Just the other day, he was asking me, I think it was our first Sunday back. He goes, are you preaching this Sunday? I go, no, I'm not. Mr. Jessen's preaching today. He goes, oh, okay. He goes, I think I get to be in there when you're preaching, Mr. Josh. Man, my heart just just swelled up. Love this kid. And, and I see how his parents and, and, and our community of believers are just piling the gospel around him and our other littles. I'm glad that they're in here. And our, our kids ministry, they work so hard to give you guys the resources you need to just to shepherd and bring your kids into the light. But know this, it's going to take the supernatural work of God to do that. But Christian, this is what we hope for. This is why we labor through that. Through the clear presentation of the gospel, God works and changes them just as He changed you. Remember that First Peter? Ephesians talks about this. Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. You think about this. Think about it. This is how we think about this. But if you were a Christian, this was you. Paul talks about it. But if, if, if you... Those that we know are not Christians, this is where they're at. He says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the, and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Oh, but verse 4, but God. You guys underline if you're in there. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Amen. Here's the thing, too. I hear people say all the time, well, I've always been a Christian. No, you have not. That's just poor theology. You were lost. Maybe you came to Christ, God saved you at a very young age, but you were not always a Christian. But by God's grace, He saved. And my prayer, even for the little ones that are in here that are not saved yet, that God would. And we need to do everything we can that God calls us to so that He can do the work. Praise God that He works through His grace and mercy through believers and we should show grace 
in mercy as well. So here's second thing. We should labor to speak and receive truth and love. Look at verse 26 in our passage here. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Oh, I love this. Apollos, was, he was boldly speaking in the synagogue, but he, he didn't have it all together. And here's Priscilla and Aquila. They hear that. They realize this. And, and, and look at how they handled it. They approached him privately and they said, Hey, brother, we have some good stuff we want to tell you. You're doing a great job, but we want you to be fully equipped. They approached him privately and they instructed him more accurately. They didn't ridicule him publicly. They didn't get on their social media and go, can you believe this guy? They didn't go behind his back and gossip about him. They didn't simply shrug their shoulders either and say, oh well, that's on him. They didn't say, well, their, their kids ministry leader should have been, done a better job with him. Or maybe that youth leader, maybe they should have done a better job. Or maybe that Bible study was he did. Man, who is leading that Bible study? No. They loved him enough to humbly go to him and for time, to spend time with him, to labor and teaching sound doctrine. And here's the thing, we too should share sound doctrine. Open our Bibles, church. Sit with your families and talk about Scripture. Sometimes I think we make this harder than it has to be. And oftentimes we... we when we teach others, here's the beautiful thing about it. Oftentimes when we teach others, we wind up more knowledgeable ourselves, don't we? I know this. I learned so much about just preparing to preach and to teach. But we try to equip, equip you guys all the time. We try to give you. I, I think I, I'm so, so thankful, especially for our kids' ministry and our, our student ministry, that they try to put things in your hands, parents, where you can disciple your kids. You might have, uh, you kids, do you guys have uh, your bulletin? Can you just hold it up? Mary, can I see yours for just a second, buddy? You guys have one of these? You see the back? What's on the back there? You can say it. Ten Commandments, right? You know our church family roadmap? That's what we're looking at this month, the church family roadmap. We've been looking at the Ten Commandments. Parents, I, I want you to, to gather with your kids right there. If you've got littles in here. And they've got one of those. I want you to sit with them for just a second, okay? We're going to complete this as a church, okay? It's church family of the Ten Commandments. In fact, if you want, parents, I want you to go to Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 17. Just bookmark it because I want you to have a talk about this with your kids later on today. Hey, kids, you guys, all our kiddos, you guys ready to do this? All right, what is number one? Put what first? Put God first. First commandment. Parents, have a conversation today about what it looks like for you to put God first in your family. Easy conversation, right? Easy discipleship. You guys ready for number two? All right. What does it say? What is number two? No, no fake gods. No other gods, right? How about having a conversation about that? What does that mean for you and your family? The importance of the one true God. How about number three? You guys ready for number three? Respect God's what? Name. Why? What a great conversation that you as parents can have with your kids about what it means to respect God's name. 
About number four, respect what? Respect God's day of what? Rest. Yes, are you guys filling them in? Parents, you guys helping them out? All right, let's go to number five. Ooh, here's a hard one. It's a good one. Parents, you can join in on this one. Yeah, respect your what? Parents, right? Ooh, that's a good conversation today. You can have, right? How about number six? Number six. Do not what? Do not kill people, right? Don't kill people. You know, Scripture says that we have anger in our heart towards one another. Hatred in our heart is the same as murder. Have that conversation with your kiddos. What about number seven? Number seven, respect what? Respect marriage. Respect marriage. How about having that conversation with your kiddos? What the picture of marriage is for the picture of the gospel, right? What about number eight? What is number eight? Do not what? I got two of them up here. They're going. The rest of you guys, come on now. Let's hear it. Number eight is do not what? Steal. That's right. Don't steal. How about number nine? Do not what? Do not lie. What about number 10? You got those number number 10? Do not be jealous. Parents, I have just given you 10 days worth of good conversation that you can have with your kids about the gospel. In fact, I didn't. Our kids' ministry did. They put this together. I said, what a great way to have good conversations and open your Bible, read Exodus chapter 20 to your kids and walk them through it. What an easy thing to do that we can have these conversations with our families and what that means and what God teaches us through that. An easy way to do that. To to do that, to labor, to speak truth in love. And you think about this, if you can have this conversation with, with your kids, it's pretty simple you know, this conversation at work too. Why should we respect marriage? Why should we respect our parents? Why should we have a day of rest? Have that conversation with your boss. Respect God's name. Why do we, we talk about, about God's name is holy? What does it mean to truly worship? What does it mean to not lie or to be jealous? Hmm. To share truth and love. To joyfully share truth and love. Here's the other thing too. I don't want to miss this. We also need to see that Apollos received this truth well. He was obviously eager to learn and be correct in his knowledge. And he, he submitted to that teaching. Man, we need to really think about that. How well do we truly seek to receive truth? Are we humble enough to go, hey, I may be wrong here. Let's search God's Word together and receive truth. Or do we always fight to be right? Proverbs 12.1 says, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. That word's in the Bible, the ESV translation. I know there's kids in here, but it's in the Bible. You can have that conversation back with your kids later on, but that's what my translation says. Here's the third thing I want us to pull out here, and we're going to wrap things up. Be an encourager. Be an encourager. Look at verses 27 and 28 of our text. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing 
by the Scriptures that Christ was Jesus. While Apollos was built up in knowledge of the truth, he was equipped to go and to share the truth even more boldly and now completely. He was encouraged. Encouraged. These guys say, hey, you know this, man. Go. Go share that truth. Man, go proclaim that truth. Slapped him on the back. Go, go get him, man. We're here for you. We're lifting you up. Just think of how it would have affected him if no one encouraged him. Nobody encouraged him. Here's the thing. A little encouragement goes so, such a long way. And it's so easy to do. So very easy to do. And we live in the midst of a culture that is hell-bent on tearing others down. But the Bible is so clear that we are not to be that way. We are to encourage one another. Encourage one another. Why is encouragement emphasized in Scripture? Why? Primarily because encouragement is necessary to our walk of faith. How often do you read in Scripture to encourage one another, build each other up over and over and over again? It's necessary for a walk in faith. Encouragement makes it easier as believers to live in a fallen world. Hey, I know things are rough right now, but man, Christ has overcome. Hey, I know that, that this is a struggle with you're walking through right now, but man, think about how, who Jesus is and how He overcomes that and how you can speak truth into that situation. It's encouragement. Encouragement. We live in the midst of a culture that, that just wants to tear each other up, but we should not be that way. Encouragement makes it easier as believers to live in a fallen world. Look at Hebrews 3.13. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You know what he's talking about there? Hey, how about you encourage one another? Hey, I know things are hard. Keep going. Encourage one Hey, that was a great job that you did. I've seen so much of how just a little bit of encouragement can change a person so very much. So much of this fallen world can be so discouraging. It can seem that, that all is hopeless with just a little bit of encouragement from the truth of God's Word. We cannot simply survive but thrive as God's kids. I'll be honest with you. I've had a rough week. Just the stress of certain things have come along, but I have had brothers that... Because they love me, they have seen that in me. Brothers and sisters as well, they have seen that in me. And they have loved me and they have encouraged me. And I am so thankful. What it means is that I don't have to walk through these things alone. That we do this together and this is the way God has designed things. And this world wants to isolate us and separate us and and to tear us down, but we are not to be that way. Encouragement, just a little bit. I want you to think about how someone has encouraged you in the past. How'd they do it? And how'd it make you feel? Just a little bit of encouragement. Maybe, maybe this encouragement was a challenge for you to step up and do something that you didn't think you could do, but God worked through you. I know there were some men that filled this pulpit while I was out. 
that didn't think they would, you would ask them a year or so ago, they would probably never stand here. But with just a little bit of encouragement from others and equipping, man, they stood here and boldly proclaimed the gospel. Praise God for that. I think of Bible studies that I've got to sit in. I've, our men's Bible study is one of those things where I've got to sit there and I love how it's set up too that someone else every week leads. And I've sat with some guys that have come to me a week or so before and go, hey man, next week's my week. I've never done this before. I go, well, good. After next week, you can't say that anymore. Right? And I've seen other guys come along and just encourage them and, 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 and just help them and walk them through some stuff and, and teach them how to do those things. And, and then they come and they share and they're like, man, that was really good. Praise God for that. And I, I'm so, here's the thing. I am so encouraged when you guys encourage other people to do certain things. It's amazing. It's beautiful. You think about when someone has encouraged you and how that made you feel and how they did it. Don't you think others could use the same encouragement from you? One of the best ways that we can joyfully battle for the truth is to encourage others to battle alongside you. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. It says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. I learned this, these verses in, in the, the, the NIV, and I kind of like that translation because it says, let us consider how to spur one another along. Being a redneck from East Texas, I'm a little familiar with, with spurs. You ever, you ever been spurred before? It kind of hurts, but that's the point. That's the point. To be poked a little bit, to... To not just sit still, but to move forward. That's encouragement. And sometimes encouragement is like, hey dude, why are you slacking? Maybe that's encouragement. Hey man, you're gifted in this way. You need to be doing this. Because you're neglecting the gift that God has given you. That's encouragement there. This is what the writer of Hebrews, and it's biblical. So think about how we have been encouraged and how we can encourage one another. Church, the gospel is such a beautiful message. The gospel calls us into so much. So much. It's not just like, oh, I don't, get, I don't have to go to hell and I get heaven and I get to sit on a cloud and do whatever I want the rest of all eternity. That is not it. The gospel calls us to hate our sin and hate the sin of others. The gospel calls us to live for the gospel what it calls us to. And church, that's not always easy, but it is always good. There is a battle raging for the hearts and souls of our kids and our families and our communities. And God has righteously placed Calvary severance in this community to fight back. To wage the war against this. And He equips us. And to do that. And we got to know that we're not perfect. And we need to know that others aren't perfect. But we need to stand on God's truth. And not be ashamed of the gospel. 
and the truth of those things, but we need to share that truth in love, and we need to receive truth in love, and we also need to encourage one another. Just four questions, and I'm going to pray. How is the Lord working on you, and how are you laboring to grow in your faith? It's an honest question that I pray that we're going to pray here in just a second. And I just, just want you to sit and think of, man, how has God really been working on my heart? And how are you laboring to grow in your faith? What does it look like for you to speak truth in love? What does it look like for you to really speak truth in love? Maybe you need to speak truth in love to yourself first. Maybe you need to confess your sin and, and know that you're out of the graces of God, but, but God is calling you into salvation. Maybe that's where you need to start. Maybe you need to hear the truth of love that God is speaking to you through the truth of the gospel. If that's you, man, I'd love to have a talk with you after the service. What does it look like for you to receive truth in love? Maybe you need to hear that you are a sinner today. And what you deserve is God's wrath. But the only hope for you, maybe you need to hear and receive the truth of love, that the only hope that you have is in Christ Jesus. And you need to stop running from that and submit to that. What does it look like for you to encourage others in their walk? Oh man, I just think about just the simple ways that I've been encouraged. You guys have encouraged me so very much this morning. And I think about, man, if, if, if you just picked one person this week and go, I'm just going to encourage that person this week. What do you think could happen there? By God's grace, He calls us into so much more. And by His grace, He equips us to be so much more. Oh, let us not neglect the joy in doing all of that. And trusting in His faithfulness and His goodness, not only working in our own hearts, but equipping us to labor for the hearts of others. Oh, church, may we be faithful in that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I praise You for all that You are and all that You do. I thank You for the gift of salvation, for it is a gift. It is not accomplished by works, by no means. It is a gift that you give to us. And through that, you're worthy of all of our praise, all of our endless hallelujahs. So we sang this morning, a thousand hallelujahs and so many more. Oh God, help us to be that. Equip us, to teach us and strengthen us oh, to fight for Fight for our kids and our neighbors, our community, and a lost and dying world. So, Father, help us to be that. And, Lord, I pray that you're doing that here this morning. Father, I pray that those that don't, that are separated from you, that you have called them to yourself and that you do that today and that we can rejoice in that. Help us to encourage one another in the truth and disciple one another and teach one another the goodness of your word. And help us to be faithful to that. Lord, we 
We pray this expecting, eagerly expecting you to work. And it's in Christ's holy and precious name that we pray. Amen.